0: Over the years of my ministry, I've done like countless funeral services, and and I suspect that the one passage that has been asked for more than any other when it comes to a funeral service has been the 23rd Psalm. Now I understand that, right? Because the Psalm does invite us into the arms of the Shepherd for comfort. Um, But in other ways, it's a little bit of a strange request because I believe that the psalm is more about life than death. Life with the shepherd and how life unfolds when we're following a shepherd. And so as Troy said, for today and for the next five weeks, we are going to dine at the table of Psalm 23 and take each verse as as a course of the meal, I suppose. To nourish us and it's my privilege today to serve a first course to you um, so before we do that would you join me in prayer oh uh, lord you are our shepherd and it's it's just an amazing privilege to know you as our shepherd we want to be able to see you today and so we pray that you would remove all of those things that cloud us that cloud our eyes from seeing you as you truly are. We also pray that you would shut out those noises, those distractions, those voices that interfere with us hearing from you. We pray that as we see you and hear you, we will be humble enough to invite you in and allow you to do whatever it is you want to do in our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I was um, a a lad in Sunday school, we regularly memorised verses of Scripture. And I would say that the very first passage of Scripture, that's as opposed to a single verse, the very first passage of Scripture that I ever memorized was Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul, and so it goes on. Very obviously, I memorized it from the King James version of the Bible. Today, I am more likely to use the GDH version. (laughs) That's the Geoffrey David Hall version of uh, Psalm 23. Um, But uh, I do have to say that uh, thinking about the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have been following the shepherd for something like 56 years. There are probably people who outdo that, but that's okay. 56 years. And I've got to admit, there's still stuff I want. <laughs> okay? Like, I, I want to go to Canada, Churchill in Canada, and see the polar bears as up close and personal as I can possibly see them. I, I want to spend about six months in the UK. I want to live a life that is free of muscle and joint pain. I see some of you are on board with that. Okay, look, some of those things may eventuate. Others probably won't. That's not the point. The point is, after 56 years of following the shepherd, I still want stuff. So how does that sit with Psalm 23.1 that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Well, maybe we should start by revisiting the meaning of the word because let's face it 412 years have gone by since King Jimmy got his um, authorised version of the scriptures into the hands of the English people and word usage has changed in that time so most recent translations of, of Psalm 23 render it something like the Lord is my shepherd I have everything I need. I believe that the New International Version probably gets as close as possible to the essence of the original Hebrew text when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. There's nothing missing. I am not shortchanged on anything. I am not deprived in any way. Now, when you, you express it in that way, it's kind of expressed in the sense of what I'm not. And maybe we can tinker with it a little bit and express it in more positive terms. So if I lack nothing, it actually means that I am complete. If there's nothing missing, I am full. So in the shepherd, I am complete. I am full. I am enough. There are a number of places in the Old Testament where this image of the shepherd is used to describe God in relationship to his people. But but personally, I cannot read Psalm 23 without thinking about Jesus. And in John 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, if Jesus is the good shepherd... And if Psalm 23, 1 holds true, then it is in Christ that I am complete. It is in Christ that I am full. In fact, Paul in in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. He's talking about the nature of Jesus. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And then he goes on, And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We have been brought to fullness in Christ. So in Christ, I am everything that I am supposed to be. In Christ, right now, I have everything that I am supposed to have. So, what I'd like to do this morning is to use Psalm twenty-three, one, as a bit of a springboard to dive into the pool of John chapter ten and reflect a little bit on what that completeness in Christ looks like, and particularly with this verse, John ten, ten, where Jesus said, "The thief." comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it to the full. So there are a couple of things that I want to highlight. First of all, in Christ, we have received the fullness of God's grace. Now, yes, I am very well aware that the word grace does not appear in this passage at all can we go on to the next one yeah we've received the fullness of God's grace yeah it doesn't appear in this passage but uh, let's think about what Jesus said about the thief right the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy Now, by the way, when Jesus was talking about the thief, he was talking about pretenders to the job of shepherd of God's people. And particularly the arch pretender, the devil, Satan. Right? He's the one who, who is the would-be leader of people, the would-be shepherd of people. But remember, the, uh, the Bible says that the devil's a liar. Right? So just bear that in mind. Jesus is the shepherd. But Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. If we skip over to 1 John chapter 3, John says that the Son of God, in other words, Jesus, appeared to undo or to destroy the work of the devil. So how does Jesus undo or destroy the work that he's describing the devil goes through in John 10.10? Well, if the devil is a destroyer, then it stands to reason that Jesus is a builder or a rebuilder or a restorer. If the devil is a thief or a taker, then Jesus is a giver. And that is where grace comes in. In fact, in John 1 verse 14, John says, we have seen his glory and he's talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I like the way the good news expresses it. Out of the fullness of his grace, he has blessed us all. All Jesus has poured all of God's grace on us. He hasn't held anything back. We've got the whole lot. There's nothing missing. Everything there is of God's grace has been given to us in Jesus' God is a very generous God, and he just loves to bless us generously. Look, a a few weeks ago, we were having a meal with uh, our son and daughter-in-law and grandson. Um, Judah, our grandson, had uh, some chicken and chips, and I think Lorraine might have been eating a chicken burger or something like that, and she said to Judah, "Judah, do you think I could have a chip?' And Judah said, of course. And he carefully examined his bowl of chips and he pulled one chip out and he handed it to Lorraine. Now, I'm sure that he took Lorraine literally when she said, could I have a chip, please? But God is a whole lot more liberal and generous with his giving to us. God would say to us, here, have the whole bowl. And then he'd say, can I get you another one? God is a very generous giver. Everything that there is of God's grace has been poured out upon us in Jesus Christ. I I don't know if you have seen the film um, Bruce Almighty. There's a few nodding heads. It's a bit of an irreverent film. There are some good learning moments in it. Uh, But there is a scene in the movie which Bruce has just discovered that uh, he didn't get the job that he wanted to get. And he's whinging a little bit to his partner about it. And uh, his partner, whose name just happens to be Grace, actually, his partner says to him, you know that everything happens for a reason. And Bruce said, please, that's not what I need right now. That's a cliche. That's not going to help me. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird and I have no bush. (laughs) God has taken my bird and my bush. God has taken. Well, Bruce isn't the only one who thinks like that. There are a lot of people in this world who thinks that when things are taken from them, it's God's fault. That God is the one who takes things. Well, look, that's not theology. It's Bruce's opinion. And before you say to me, yes, but Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I burst a few bubbles and say, that was Job's opinion. (laughs) Not theology. Because the book of Job makes it very clear that God did not take those things away from Job that it was Satan, it was the devil who took those things away from Job. And the very simple message of the book of Job is that it doesn't matter what we are given and what is taken away from us in life. It doesn't matter who gives it and takes it. It doesn't matter why it's given and why it's taken. The thing that does matter is how we respond to God in the midst of all that's going on in life. Can we respond to God with with a deep, trusting uh, relationship in which we we are totally committed to knowing that God is a good God who has our best in his heart and that we are safe and secure in his hands? Jesus said it's, it's the devil that takes away. He's the one who steals things from us in life. In Jesus, everything that there is of God's grace has been given to us. And that grace covers everything. Yes, it covers the things that we need in this world. And and I would qualify that by saying the things that God knows that we need in this world. Now, there's a passage in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about a moment in his life when he did not get something that he thought that he needed from God. He prayed to God to have this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, this thorn in the flesh taken away, and it didn't happen. But Paul says, this is what God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. That's all you need. What I give you, what I in my grace bless you with. And that grace is a blanket covering for the entirety of life. It's that grace of God poured out in Jesus that gives us the inner strength and resources to weather the storms of life. It's that grace given to us in Jesus that enables us to respond consistently with a Christ-like way. In the face of whatever's happening in life. And it's that grace given to us in Jesus that actually it helps us to see this, this eternal perspective on what God does. I mean, Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1. Like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing missing every spiritual blessing and then he goes on to list some of them and and that all of that he says is to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us or which he has lavished on us in the one he loves it's grace poured out grace upon grace God is very, very generous to us. Now, here's a question that we've got to ask ourselves about all of this. When we look at what we have in life or even at what we don't have in life, when we look at all of those circumstances um, in which we find ourselves, the things going on around us, do we harbour a little bit of resentment towards God with this sneaking suspicion that maybe God isn't doing his job properly? Or can we respond uh, in faith and gratefully receive the entirety of life and its circumstances as a gracious gift from God and live in that space of gratitude for all of the grace that God has poured out on us? That's the question that we all need to to answer in life. Now, the other thing about the fullness or the completeness that we have in Jesus is that we have the fullness of life in Christ. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and might have it to the full. Everything that life was ever meant to be is found in Jesus. Jesus. All the best that life can possibly be, it is found in Jesus. Now, I've met a lot of people over the years who seem to think that if they chose to become a Christian, that life would somehow become less for them. That it would be less than the life they already know. That it would be worse. That there would be stuff missing. That they felt ought to be part of life. But Jesus said it's the thief that takes that away. It's Satan that kills. He kills off life. It's not Jesus that kills life. It's Satan that kills life. And he's the one who deprives us of the fullness of life. Jesus gives it. And so Jesus said if you hear my voice and follow me. You will walk in the pathway of life. So hear my voice, follow me. So we're actually, are we down to uh, following the directions of the shepherd, the commands of the shepherd? Well, isn't that a little burdensome? Doesn't that weigh us down? Doesn't that suck all the joy out of life? Well, well, the answer to that, or the short answer is no. No, it doesn't. Maybe an analogy might help us. I used to referee Rugby Union. The game they play in heaven, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) And the reason that Rugby Union, like any other sport, needs a referee is because there are a lot of rules associated with the game, and the referee is the one who's supposed to enforce those rules. In fact, the game of rugby has a, a, a book a law book that contains 21 laws of the game of... I think it's still 21. 21 laws of the game of rugby. And each of those 21 laws has has sort of sub-paragraphs and and explanations and, you know, a bit like the Pharisees did with the Old Testament Scriptures. But, yeah, and and those laws cover everything. They cover um, the, the manner in which the game is to be played. They cover the dimensions of the field. Uh, They cover the the clothing that players can wear. They cover the manner in which the game is to be played. And the reason that those laws are there is not to suck all the fun out of playing rugby. I mean, can you imagine someone coming along and saying, well, I actually can imagine someone saying this, but uh, you mean I cannot stamp on another player with my boots? Where's the fun in that? That's going to take all the joy out of playing rugby for me. I don't think I'll play rugby because I can't do that. The laws of the game are there to actually enable everybody who participates in the game to play with maximum safety and maximum enjoyment. In order for that to happen, there needs to be some structure to the game. There needs to be some order to it. And the laws provide that order. The laws provide that structure. And that's the way Jesus' commandments, Jesus' directions work. It provides some kind of order. It provides some kind of structure within which we can experience life as it was always meant to be. When we listen to the voice of the shepherd and follow him, we, we enter life. When we listen to the voice of the thief, Satan, the liar, when we listen to the voice of the world, when we listen to the voice of self-interest, it's that that takes away life from us because we end up living in resentment and in bitterness and in envy and in anger and in dissatisfaction and, and perhaps constantly filled with this desire to work out how we can get what we want to get even at the expense of other people. And I've got to tell you, there's no freedom in that. That's bondage. That's not life. That's existence. Jesus is the one who gives us life. And that's life in all its fullness. And our choice then is to follow him. And by the way, when we do choose to follow the directions that Jesus gives us, to follow his commandments, we actually end up finding that it's, it's not so burdensome after all. We really do find it a joy to, to do things his way because this is the way we want to live now. We, we just respond to Jesus with such joy and such peace that, that we experience the life that he gives to us. Later on in this um, passage of Scripture, John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There is something about the life that Jesus wants to give us that required him to lay down his life. And as he said later again in this passage, to take it up again. Back in John chapter 5, Jesus said that if we hear his voice and believe in him, we have eternal life. We have already passed out of death. And into life. So eternal life, as I understand the scriptures, eternal life is not something that we've got to wait till after we die to get a hold of. It's not just afterlife. It's not just life that goes on and on forever. Eternal life is something that we have now in Christ. It is actually life that has the quality of eternity to it. It is life that we experience in the kingdom of God. It is actually life that human beings experienced at the moment of creation. But that was lost. It was lost when human beings turned our backs on God and said, We don't want to follow your rules. We think we can do this by ourselves. That's what Adam and Eve said to God don't want your rules. We'll do it ourselves. But God in his grace sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross, then to rise again from the dead in order that we might have life restored to us and that we might be restored to life, to be forgiven for our rebellion against God, for our sin. And to enjoy the life that God wants to give us through Jesus. And that is what is at the heart of communion. As we share in communion together, we take bread. It represents the body of Jesus that he gave on the cross. We take grape juice that represents his blood shed on the cross. And together we say to Jesus, you died for me. I'm thankful for that and I'm trusting you for life. And I invite you now, if you would, to, uh, to take the bread and, and to eat it and then take the cup and drink it as, as we do so to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made, giving up his life that we might have life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is for you, do this in memory of me. And then he took a cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in memory of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, there may be something that's going on in your life for which you would like prayer. Um, If you are here in this room, then as the service comes to a close, um, come and grab a hold of me or Troy or or someone else and we would love to pray with you and for you uh, about what's happening in your life Uh, maybe you're actually wrestling with this question of life in Jesus Uh, is it something that I have or not Um, am I I truly experiencing that fullness of life that Jesus said he came to give if that's something you'd like to talk about then please again Uh, Come and get us. We'd love to have that conversation with you. If you're watching online and want either prayer or or to find out more about what it means to follow the shepherd with a capital S, then please reach out to Troy in uh, in some way, and uh, he would love to connect with you.